So we're talking about wisdom tonight. Um, wisdom. Thank the Lord for that. I was going to tell you this, and um, some, a bit of good news. Sister Jennifer and I were uh, approved for a loan the other day, so I'm thankful for that. Bad news is that it was at Casey's, so now we can afford a full tank of gas. Oh, Lord. I know that's a bad joke. If my, I told my children to be here. They're, they're on the way, I hope. But I, I've seen this happen with my son, Grant. If I say something like that around his friends, he turns to them and says, don't laugh at him. You're just encouraging him. Don't. Don't. Pretend you didn't, pretend you didn't hear it. It just went by. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to start with this. Proverbs 4 and 7 is the key verse. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding. Read that with me, would you? Ready? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. What is wisdom in the Bible? Here's the best and clearest uh, definition I can, I can have. It's kind of simplistic. But wisdom is the correct application of knowledge, but it's so much more. It's a lot deeper than that, okay? In all my searching throughout the Old and New Testament, I found some levels of wisdom. It's not necessarily that they're like levels one, two, and three that you grow on. Sometimes you always need level one uh, in your life, and then other times you need the other wisdom. The first one is skill. The first level of wisdom you'll find in the Old Testament is skill. Uh, God gave wisdom as skill for artists, for weavers, for architects, for goldsmiths. You'll find that in Exodus 35 and 5. The Bible often uses the word spirit with that. And the spirit of wisdom came on this person, and he was able to work with fine um, weaving and for the temple. And the spirit of wisdom moved on this guy, and he had wisdom to be a goldsmith and was working with, in all the, the, the artifacts of gold. Uh, we also find in Acts chapter 7, remember when Stephen, uh, the first martyr of the church, was giving that message, really his first message and last we hear in the Bible, he referenced Moses. And Moses, when he was in Pharaoh's house, so that's the first 40 years of his life, when he was in Pharaoh's house, he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. What is that wisdom that he had? Well, it was how to do things, how to build things, how to construct things, how to lead and manage people, how to, how to you know, direct an entire nation. He learned all those things. And here's a, just a quick little pin drop. You may want to circle that verse, underline it, because the question is, can God use the wisdom of the Egyptians? Well, of course he can. He did that for Moses. Moses eventually drew on all that training and wisdom that he was trained in the classrooms of Egypt and when he was leading people for God. That happens to us all the time. Men and women find training in the world. They find insight and wisdom. They grow in something. They're in a, they're in a, a company that helps them to grow in uh, leadership capabilities or even just uh, with their hands-on, structural things. They're, they're architects in the world or, they're, or they are... They repair things in the world, and then God allows us to use that wisdom for his, him and his kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? 
God never says, that's trash because it came out of Egypt. God takes it, sanctifies it, and uses it for his glory. I love that. It's beautiful. Insight is the other level of wisdom we'll find in the Old Testament. Now, insight is different than skill. Skill is just the ability to do something. You have, you have wisdom in that sense because you can produce or do that thing or make that thing happen. But, but insight is a different thing. This is the wisdom that is described as insight for life or how to deal with problems. It's often connected with the word understanding. That's where we find understanding and wisdom together. That wisdom is, a, is insight. How do I do this? What do I do? I know all of you um, can maybe think of someone in your life who you would say, that's a wise person. And usually you're thinking about a particular situation or thing. Maybe they have wisdom for uh, a married relationship and what, what we should do in a certain problem or situation or how we should talk to one another. Or maybe you have, someone has wisdom for raising children and they, God gave them wisdom there. Or wisdom for um, helping settle a dispute with brothers in the church. There's all kinds of wisdom. What should I do in this situation? I need insight. Many times people are praying for wisdom. They pray for, they're praying for that. God, I'm not sure how to go about this. I don't know what to do. Give me insight. And sometimes God will give you someone in your life that will speak to you. So one of the most important things that allows wisdom to get into your life is your humbleness to allow it. Pride, God says he resists the proud. That is like a, like a rejection or a pushback. But God gives more grace to the humble. If you and I are able to have a humility of spirit, there are people all around us that we may not recognize as being important or powerful or noteworthy or some supernatural um, superlative we like to add to that, but someone that, we, that has wisdom for the very thing we're looking for in our life. Have you ever experienced that? Do you know that's real? That is real. God gives wisdom to all over us. Really, God intends the church body, and, and not just this local body, but also the local body, to operate like a body. A body can do things for itself. A body can heal itself. A body can bring necessary nutrients from this side to that side, to that cell that's hurting, and can recover in that wound do you understand? That same symbolism is, should be in the body of Christ. What keeps that from happening? What's the shutdown? What's the stopping? What's the barrier? Usually it's pride. Pride is the thing that, that stops us. If we, if we let go of pride, we can, we can hear that phrase from our brother and sister and recognize maybe that's wisdom. Maybe that's wisdom from God. And we have to, of course, try and test everything against the word of God. Try it against what God says. We can't just believe just what people say on their own because all of us can be led astray. The third level of wisdom here is pleasing God. Pleasing God. Now, this wisdom was displayed in the lives of wise people who thought and acted in a way that was pleasing to God. Whatever they did, it was they were known as wise men and women because... God said, I am pleased with what they're doing. I'm pleased with their behavior. I'm pleased with their response. I'm pleased with how they're handling the situation. 
I'm going to read real quickly Isaiah 33, verse 6, so you can hear and kind of get the sense of this. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. God recognizes and, and hungers for his people to have that kind of wisdom. Recognize that there are wisdom, there's all kinds of wisdom in the world. And you may work with or be uh, related to or have friends with people that have wisdom and skill. And that's not wrong to say that's wisdom. Of course it is. Have you seen some of the skill people have and how they, they can work with wood? And you think, man, that's incredible. What they created, the table or chairs or, or they've got this, this thing with the river that goes through it. And they've got epoxy on top of it. There's skill there. That's wisdom, how to do, how to do that. Or you've met someone who can come into a crowd of people and begin to talk to them and greet them or, or understand how to communicate to people and make friends very quickly. You say, wow, look at that, Lord. That is, that's skill. That is skill from, from, from their wisdom, maybe their wisdom of life. Maybe they got it from just, you know, learning or reading books. That kind of wisdom can be acquired. This second one, insight, where do you get that one? You get that one from, from growing in the Lord, from listening to others. It's an idea how to deal with that situation. What is the right answer to that? What is the right thing to say? How do I fix this? I've got a, a problem, and I don't know how to get around it. And God gives insight. And the last one, though, is a lifestyle. That's a different thing. You, you can have all the other ones, and they're very good. But this one is, is a lifestyle, the wisdom of pleasing God. Because I can do what's wise in skill. I can do what's wise in having insight. That doesn't mean I am pleasing God. You see how that's different? There are a lot of people in this world. You could say, man, that guy is wise in starting businesses. That woman is wise in teaching children. That, that guy is wise in being kind and compassionate. That lady is wise in leading, a, you know, leading all the people in her, around her neighborhood to do something great for someone else. There's wisdom there. That does not mean they're pleasing God. God is the ultimate, um, I suppose, decider of what is right and what's wrong. And often in the Bible, you'll find that what was pleasing to men was displeasing to God. That there was this upside-down situation. Jesus even said, don't you know that the wickedness of this world, people, people um, they praise that. But God, God despises that. God knows what is evil and what's wrong. Even the people say this is wonderful. And in this world, we find a lot of upside-downness, don't we? We find people who do evil and do wickedly and seem to be rewarded for it. You ever heard of that? Ran into it? Seen it? Yeah. They've done wrong, and they seem to be paid for it. They do evil, and they seem to be doing fine. And David had that same problem. He said, I, I am struggling, God. They're, they don't care a lick about you, and I do, and they seem to have no worries and no problems, and here I am having all these problems. Anybody feel like David been there before? Yeah, yeah. And he said, until I came into the house of the Lord, then I understood their end. There is, a, there is a something about pleasing God, and that doesn't mean I have to have an arrogant attitude, or be mean, or not submissive to others in my life that God would put over me. But it's more important 
for me to please God in the sight of God than the sight of men. Because, to be honest, you guys haven't seen me for a while. I mean, it's Sunday till now. Who knows what I've been doing all this week? Hopefully nothing bad, but you don't even know. You don't know the decisions I've been making. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been thinking or struggling with or doing good on or doing bad on. But God does. And God knows and sees and understands that he is the final evaluator. He just says, I know what is right and wrong, and this is pleasing, and that's not pleasing. Well, okay. Our world seems to be flipped upside down, doesn't it, in many ways. Very much like what is cheap has become expensive. And what is really expensive in our world is really worthless. That's, how, that's the upside down. The Bible talks about it. They're going to call good evil. And they're going to call evil good. It's very much like the story of the two-part crime that happened at a jewelry store many years ago. Where the first part was the, the couple went in pretending to look for a watch or a ring. And while the manager was trying to help, they just switched all the prices. They got the, the cheapest watch and then switched that price tag, this is before the digital age, with, with the Rolex. And they got the, the fake, the fake uh, wedding ring and then switched that one with a super nice one. They didn't steal a thing. They didn't take a thing. There was not one, there was no one could ever accuse them of robbery because they didn't take anything. But they did, though. They took the value system. And what happened the next day? Their friends came in and bought things. The guy for a, for a while thought, man, I am selling out of everything. This is great. Sold that watch for 10 bucks, but he didn't know that was the $1,000 watch. He didn't catch it, or whoever the people that were there that were working. The, and so they finally stopped it and shut it down. They had, didn't realize they had an upside-down value system. What was, should have been cheap was expensive, and what should have been expensive was cheap. That's our world today. Is that right? If, 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 I, if I said to the world today, what is in the sight of God a great price, they may not even know. But the Bible says the death of his saints is in the sight of God a great price. God has a value system that's different than man. And so we come into this world and into life pretty much adopting that value system. And we've got to constantly get into the Word and in prayer, being with godly believers like this, so we can have that challenge to say, no, that that seems to be worth your life, but it's not. That seems to be expensive, but look, it's not. You and I will stand before the King of Kings one day, And if we make it to heaven, there is a judgment for the church. That judgment is of the things I've done and spent my time on. The Bible says he's going to try it by fire. He's going to try it by fire. And all of a sudden, what's been hidden from your eyes and from your life, from my eyes, will be revealed before God. And he's going to put it on fire. And if that's been hay or made of stubble or made of wood, it's going to burn up. And if it's made of precious jewels and gold and silver, it's going to stay. Even if your whole life, all your life's work and time and accomplishments are burned up, you'll still be saved. But you'll be saved, the Bible says, through fire. It'll be a weird day, won't it? Weird day when you say, come on, you tell me I've been collecting Monopoly money this whole time? I thought that was real money. Yeah. 
upside down world. Okay, so we're, now we're going to the New Testament. Now this wisdom, this is the practical living. You'll find this all over the New Testament. How to live with your brother and sister. How to handle money. How to take care of your body. How to take care of the things of God. What's important to God. How to, how to work out uh, disputes and what you should spend your time on and what you should pray about. Practical living is all throughout the New Testament. It gives practical advice for Christians living in every area of their life. Paul said we should be wise to that which is good and simple or innocent concerning evil. Say that again. Wise to that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now, there's something about practical, uh, practical living, that wisdom. Most people, most Christians, easily get to this point where we kind of look down on that part. And we don't maybe mean to, but we would love the supernatural wisdom of God. We want to walk in the wisdom of his will and what he's doing. We want to get to number two and three and leave that one behind. But usually what happens is if we're not living in practical wisdom, that practical living wisdom, then being used of God in the next things, it doesn't work so well. It's hard to bring a word of God to your brother and your brother say, hold on, you're not treating me right. You owe me some money. Remember that thing we were going to talk about and you're going to pay me for? Yeah, okay, I'll get that later. But i got to give you a word from God. No, see, it's hard to do that. Or, or you're not living in practical wisdom and taking care of your body. You're not getting rest. You're not taking care of yourself. And so you got something from God, but it's hard to even operate because you're not taking care of this body. Practical living wisdom is necessary as a foundation. It helps us. It's love. It's, it's kindness. It's the mercies of God. It's doing the right thing, even when we don't feel like doing the right thing. It's discipline. Those are the practical living applications. And then the one we, of course, all love is his will. That's the next thing we find in the New Testament. His will. That concept of wisdom was based on following Jesus and increasing in the knowledge of God and his word. I'm going to read these verses to you real quickly, just so you have kind of a sense of that the will. Now, this isn't always like you would think it would be. Oh, God, what is your will? Now, that, that's in there too. That's important. Um, but let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, this is Paul, saying, we do not cease to pray for you. What's he praying? And desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom was a prayer request by Paul. He prayed for the people. I'm praying you'll have the knowledge of the will of God. The, the, to know what to do. To know what to say. To know what not to do. To know where to go. Of course, James chapter 1, verse 5 is our probably cornerstone passage because that tells us about the source of wisdom. And I'm, I'm going to just read just the beginning part of it, and we'll talk about the whole application later. But James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and doesn't, doesn't abrade you or mock you or look down upon you, and it will be given him. God delights in giving his children wisdom. Now, this is wisdom according to his will. Not just practical living, but Lord, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do in this situation? Second Peter 3.15 says, An account of the long-suffering of the Lord 
is salvation, even of our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, hath written to you. God gave wisdom to Paul to write the words we have in our epistle. Now lastly, in, that, in, in the New Testament, we find the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a supernatural gift from God. It applies to a situation or a person. The word of wisdom is different from the word of knowledge, and sometimes you understand one by looking at the other. The word of knowledge is a, a, a concept of something you find out from God you cannot know on your own. God speaks to you something, and you tell someone, or you, you know it about a situation, and they can literally say, how can you know that? That's impossible. I, I've got that hidden from the whole world. Or that's in, my, that's in my house or in my head. You can't know it. That's the word of knowledge. That's a powerful thing, and it's God's intent to use it in the church. It's not something you wield like a sword that you go around and just cutting everybody with it or telling them all about it. It's something that God moves through as the, as the moment is appropriate to do. I've, I've seen God do this so many times, and it typically happens for someone that's in a believer. It can also happen for someone that's in the church. They are in their own mind saying, I need someone to tell me, to speak to me. I, I, I don't really want to share this with anybody. It's too, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm too ashamed or I'm just struggling. Or I want you to tell me, Lord. And, and someone walks up and begins to speaking things they cannot know. It's not possible. And you know in yourself, that is a word of knowledge. Okay? Now, that's helpful because a word of wisdom is close. A word of wisdom is supernatural direction about what to do. What am I going to do? Here's God's, God speaks through. And sometimes it happens in ministry and they don't even know it was them. Or they say, man, or not them, but know it was from the Lord in that way. They said, that must have been from God. When God gives us supernatural wisdom, Okay, you need to do this, sell that, go buy this, take care of that, do that. And that is God's wisdom giving them instruction what to do. It's not the word of knowledge, that's different. And it's not just wisdom they have. So that's why I have in that um, above in practical living, I've got Acts 27. I have it there, and I could put it down here too. Because in Acts 27, both of those happen in the same chapter. It's really cool. It's exciting to find it. It's like, wow, this is neat. So here is Paul. He's a prisoner. He's getting on aboard another, another ship. It is um, it's October. It's getting to the winter months. We know some things about Paul. We know the practical, the practical living wisdom, or maybe even, um, you know, just a, we can call that experience. Been around the block a few times. Paul, up to this time, has been been about 3,500 miles or more traveling by boat. That's a lot. That's more than, I, I don't know, anybody that's traveled even that much by car in a while in the last week. But you travel by boat like that. Wow, that's a lot. And he's been shipwrecked three times. We know that from Corinthians. Okay? So now, listen, now you know that. Look at what Paul said. Paul's the prisoner here. He's not the captain. He's not, he's not the Roman guard. He's not anybody in charge. He, says, he said, uh, men, um, this is not a good time to sail. I, I have a feeling that this is not going to turn out well. We're, we're going to have some trouble. And they didn't listen to him at all. Because, I mean, who is he? What, what, what does it even matter? We're taking this guy to Caesar. I don't know why we're taking him there. I don't know what he's done. He's going there. So, 
sure enough, just like Paul said, because he has that experience, that's wisdom. Now, it's not wisdom from God. That's just wisdom. You have that sometimes, too, in your life. You say, I've seen this, I've seen this trip before. It is up badly. Don't do that. Don't go there. That's not going to go well. Some of you have wisdom because you lived in the world, and now you live for God, and you could tell others, look, you are turning your back on the Lord and going to the world, and I'm going to tell you how that ends up. Don't want to, you don't want to sign up for that. My mother-in-law says don't sign up for that class. You don't want to sign up for that class. You don't want pain and agony. There are certain financial things. Others can say, hey, I've experienced that pain. You don't want to do that. That's going to hurt you. I, I've been down there. I've, I've been on that shipwreck. I don't want to go there. That's what Paul was doing. Now, then we have a later moment, and Paul talks to the men who are now frantic for their life. They're throwing everything they can off board, but there's a wind so powerful it's driving them. They have no ability to steer the, the boat out of it. They can't, get, they can't skip the wind. And he said, I guess he couldn't help himself. He said, brother, you should have listened to me. I love it. The, the, I told you so in the Bible. It's in Acts 27. Yes. You know, you should have listened to me. I told you the first time. But don't be afraid. An angel of the Lord talked to me. Gave me instructions. And so that was the Lord moving them, Paul, and giving a supernatural theme. And then they come to a point where they're about to be cast on an island. Paul said that would happen. And Paul notices that sailors, there's the three groups there. There's some of the disciples with Paul. There's the Roman guard and all the, all the Roman um, uh, officials that are with him. And then there's, of course, all this, the sailors and the captain. Paul notices that the sailors are about to jump into the lifeboats and leave them. And he says to the, to the captain, the centurion there, he says, unless these stay in the boat, we'll all perish. How did he know that? That was a word of wisdom. If we do this, we'll be in more trouble. You've got to do that. That's a word of wisdom from God, a supernatural thing flowing through him to help the situation. And you know what? Now this time, that, that Roman guard believed him. First time he didn't, he wouldn't have been in that position. But he did believe him this time. And so he cut, they cut the ropes and let, the, let those lifeboats go away. It's like, oh, why would you do that? Have you ever been in that place where you think, Lord, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have heard that, that voice. You spoke to me in my life when I was on the, on the dock. And I was dry. And I wasn't in a hurricane winds. And my life wasn't in danger. And I wasn't fleeing everything, possession I thought was important overboard. You ever been there? But here's the good news. God has not given up on you. He still has a word for you. Even in the storm, even when it is terrifically horrible, God still speaks. God angels still show up on the boat. Even when you say, I wasn't supposed to be here. doesn't matter. God can still rescue you. That's how awesome our God is. What a loving God that doesn't say, you guys go out there. I told you not to. I'm staying back here. If you make it, you're on your own. Thank God he doesn't do that. Aren't you glad? I, I, can, I know from my life, I can raise my hand and say, thank God he hasn't done it in my life. I'm thankful for his mercy. Thankful for his kindness. Where would we be without the mercy of God? If it was up to men, if it was up to people, we would say, they're a lost cause. I'm giving up on them. I've tried. I gave them my best shot. Thank God he doesn't do it that way with us, with me. He continually knocks at our door. He continually calls us, draws us, speaks to us. Sends us cards and letters. I'm thankful for that. So now we have a contrast of wisdom here. 
Now, we find this often, we find it with both Paul and James, a contrast of wisdom. This contrast is the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Now, we're not going back up into practical, and we're not going to skill, we're not going to insight. Uh, We're talking about the overall big picture, the mega thread here of the world's wisdom and wisdom of God. Paul says it like this, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How does faith stand in the wisdom of men? It stands there because it feels comfortable and confident. It can, that stand means to take a spot, to find a spot and to be secure there. Well, you might have godly leaders, and that's good. You might have a godly parents or a godly husband and wife or godly friends. Those are, that's great. You might have heard from somebody and they say, hey, this is how you get ahead in the world. This is how you make some money. This is what you do. This is what you need to do to help your family situation. That can be good stuff. But that's standing on the wisdom of men. The difference is standing in the power of God is recognizing that God has power to turn upside down things that are messing up in your life, problems and struggles and situations. If I stand in the power of God, that means what is today does not have to stay this way. God can change it. He can change me. He can change them. He can change the atmosphere around me. If I trust that power of God over the power of the wisdom of men, that, that's a beautiful thing. I, I hunger for and I want to be in my life. I want to remind myself constantly that I need to trust in the power of God and not the wisdom of men. There are very many wise people. There are a lot of wise things they say. But sometimes it's the wisdom of men saying, I'm going to depend upon people. That's dependent upon man to provide for me, to direct me, to cover me, to lead me. There's a power of God that's so much more wonderful than that. And look at 1 Corinthians 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Do you know there's some really extremely smart, and we might even say wise people in the world, that you can look at their lives and say, hold it, what, how, did you, how did you get from so smart and so wise to when it comes to things of eternal value, you're not very bright at all? You ever thought that before? Some of the, the richest men in the world right now, he, he's got a lot of wisdom, obviously. A lot of wisdom in, in directing his company, companies. A lot of wisdom in taking risks that are calculated. A lot of wisdom in being, he's a, uh, Elon Musk is a very, very open man. Open to being taught, open to listening. He's a very um, hard-driven man. And if you're not willing to work 90 hours a week, you, that you can't even start. That's the beginning. Um, he's there on Sunday, every Sunday afternoon. You can see his office right in the middle of the whole plant. He's just, it's a ridiculous lifestyle. It's a ridiculous drive, but that's his, his mentality. It's a, he's very wise in that way. But you get down to the root of what drives him. You go to the very bottom and read, his, read books about him and read those things, and you'll find out, here's the root. The root is... He believes with all his heart that this earth will be destroyed one day and we got to live on Mars. 
We've got to do everything we can. If it costs us billions, if it costs us our life, it doesn't matter. We've got to take everybody to Mars. Now, I understand if you take God out of the picture, that makes great sense. But with God in the picture, it doesn't make great sense. All of a sudden, I know more than he knows. God's going to destroy not this just world, but all the worlds, bub. And God is in charge. So isn't that crazy? God says, I'll take the wise of their own craftiness. God says, my foolishness is stronger than your wisdom. That is powerful. Measure that. How do you even measure that? God's, if you can pick out what God is foolish about, it's better than the wisdom of man. God said, by the foolishness of preaching. Why is it foolish? Because why in the world would God use another man to speak his word? A flawed temple, a person that struggles and needs God and struggles to, to walk every day and, and, and learn and hear and, and falls and has to get up. Why would God use me to do that? Why would God use pastor to do that? Why would God use any of us to minister to one another? Why wouldn't God just do angels? I mean, that would be a lot more impressive. I talked to God about that when I was a kid. I said, God, I love the St. Louis Cardinals. You know I love the St. Louis Cardinals, God. I said, would you just, I think it would be great. It would fix a lot of things, Lord. You know where home plate is, and Yachty or Molina is at right there? Let an angel just float down from heaven right into Bush Stadium. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right there, like four feet above the home plate. That would stop a whole lot of problems. And people would be like, oh, God, I've got to repent. But evidently, that wasn't God's plan. God decided a different plan. He said, no, I'm going to use you. Me? No, I, you got the wrong person. Got the wrong address. Find someone that's a lot more holy or godly or knows stuff or has superpowers. That's God taking his foolishness and saying that's stronger than the wisdom of men. Wow. Listen to what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is it? I'll tell you what, let them show by a good conduct. So there's something right there. He's saying wisdom shows up. Wisdom shows. Not just something secreted back here that you never display or doesn't affect your actions. Wisdom shows. Show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wow, not the arrogance of wisdom. Not that I know it all and I want to tell you all about it, wisdom. You've met some of those people before, haven't you? They know everything and they're going to tell you everything. Well, it's hard to receive it from them. Even if they're right, it's hard. You know, even if they know everything, it's like, okay, yeah, that's true. But man, you know, the Bible does say the meekness of wisdom. Look at this. Bitter envying and a self-seeking heart, that is earthly wisdom. It's sensual and demonic. Ooh, that's his distinction. James is again showing a difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Now he's talking about heavenly and demonic Bitter envying and self-seeking, that's earthly wisdom, sensual and demonic. Whenever you can find envy and that self-seeking spirit, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow, that, to me that is like a circle the page moment. That really is. Find envy, find a self-seeking spirit, you'll find confusion and every evil thing there. Here's, a, here's the contrast. Remember the comparison and contrast? Here's our contrast. But wisdom from above is first pure. This is from God. God. God's given this wisdom. It's peaceable. Here's some characteristics you can see about this wisdom. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. King James says, easy to be entreated. Willing to yield. 
willing to sur- surrender and submit. It's full of mercy and good fruits. Good fruits in the Bible are works, behaviors that glorify God, that bring glory to God. Fruit is works. You should write that down somewhere, and then you should read John 15. It's works, it's behaviors, it's things we say and do that bring glory to God. That's what good works are. Whatever that is. It might, we might say, well, that's someone being saved. That could be included. It might be telling someone you love them. It might be encouraging. It might be bringing someone a glass of water that's thirsty. Whatever brings glory to God, that's good fruits. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. All right. So I think we've got a hold of the concept that wisdom is important, and we want it in our life. It's multi-tiered. There's, a, there's different kinds of wisdom for different things in our life and situations. But I'd love to know where the big box store is where you can go pick some up tonight. The Bible doesn't say it's at a box store, though. How can you find wisdom? What is the source? What's the source of wisdom? A lot of people like to talk about Solomon. He had so much wisdom. That is true. The Bible says there's there's not a man before him or a man after him that had wisdom like Solomon. But where did Solomon get his wisdom? From God. God is the source of all wisdom. God has storehouses of wisdom. Yes, he does. And wisdom for you. What's Proverbs say? Two and six. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Wow. I love that. How encouraging it is that God owns wisdom. What does Proverbs 9 and 10 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Ooh, that's the starting spot. The beginning. That's where you begin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy is understanding. Let me take just a, just a couple minutes and put, a, put an underline around fear of the Lord. Okay, you ready for this one? The fear of the Lord in this passage and throughout most of the times it's mentioned, fear of the Lord is never a terror. It's never afflicting. It's never um, the, the work in your heart of just of being so afraid you're not sure what to do. That's the fear of the enemy. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is also not simply just reverence and awe. It's not just going to seeing a chapel somewhere and having fear of the Lord and, and being, being reverent in the chapel. It's not just being near the prayer area or the prayer room and saying, okay, I'm going to be quiet here because I have the fear of the Lord. No, no, no. The fear of the Lord is a recognition of the phrase, the Latin phrase I used to say a long time ago, Coram Deo, C-O-R-A-M. It's on your notes if you want to write it down. And then D-E-O. And the concept is before the face of God or the face of God. Coram Deo is the idea that I am before the face of God, whether it's bright outside or dark, whether I'm here or home, whether I'm in my car or, uh, you know, out and about in the town. I'm before the face of God. And God is the judge of what is right and wrong. The fear of the Lord is behaving and acting in a way that is pleasing to God, even when nobody knows about it. No one knows or no one approves. It doesn't matter. It's the fear of God. It holds me. It, can, it, can, it, it leads me. It keeps me from evil because I can say, oh, I have fear of God in my life. God, if the fear of God is a lot more like a massive bonfire that's 40 feet tall that you look at it and say, oh, that is awesome. I'm glad I'm not in it. I'm glad it's not going to come and get me. I'm glad we got it. Seeing God and realizing him in his glory 
can make you shake. It can make you move. But not to be afraid because if you're his child, it's a good thing. You say, God, you're so powerful. I'm glad you're on my side. I'm glad you love me. The only reason that would be flip-flopped is if you were not right with God, you weren't ready to meet the Lord, you were not ready to die and be in the rapture, you weren't ready, you didn't want your, your, your wickedness to be exposed, then you'd be afraid of being in God's presence. And Jesus talked about that. They love darkness rather than light. Why, Jesus? Because their deeds are evil. And everyone that cometh to the light, they, they, want to get it, they want to be near him. They're ready to expose their life. They're ready to say, God, have your way in my life. But many, says, love darkness. They like it much more than light because the light exposes them. But if you have the love of God, the fear of God is so powerful. Here's the best illustration in the entire Bible. It's so wonderful. It's sometimes hidden from people. There's a man in the Bible that had every single excuse. I can't find a category of excuse that he did not have to do the thing that was sinful. Okay? And we're going to go through the list that I can remember right now. This is off the top of my head that God's given to me right now, but let's see what I can do. Number one, it was very normal. Everybody does it. It's very common. Okay? That's an argument that he had to face. Number two, it is not your fault. You're in this situation, and it's not your fault. You didn't do anything. You can't control it. Number three, nobody well, no. Nobody. It, it, it's as hidden as it can be. I mean, nobody will know. Number four, you're far from your religion, your church, your people that love God. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to talk to you. No one's going to know. There's not going to be anything happening. You can do whatever you want. Number five, the person that's in authority over you says it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Number six, it's, it's not illegal. There's not a law against it. Whatever. And number seven, you're not going to get in more trouble because you do it. You're going to get in more trouble if you don't. This is in your best self-interest to do this thing. I mean, look, you're not going to get out of the problem you're in by being a goody two-shoes. You're, this is not a work release program. You're in this for life. And if you don't do it, you could hurt yourself or even lose your life. That's, that's stupid. Why not do it? No one knows. Nobody cares. No, no church, nobody knows about that. I don't ever talk to you or judge you for it. It's okay. It's everybody. It's normal. It's, you know, it's one of those things everybody does. I, you think about all that. That's, that's a lot. I've never had to handle that many suggest, excuses for any sin that came to my life. But this young man named Joseph looked at that woman who was coming after him day by day, because the Bible says he was good looking. And she said to him, sleep with me. And he said, no, you're my master's wife. Now hold on, Joseph, wait a minute. You're in slavery. You're not getting out because you say no. Your brother sold you, and that's forever. You're done. As far as you know, there is no more story. And it's common. Everybody does it in Egypt. It's not a big deal. It's not against the law, Joseph. And there are no body, there's no prophets, priests, or brothers, or anybody ever see. There's no people from your religion ever know. And if you don't do this, bub, you know, she is in power. You, you could be killed or put in prison or something bad can happen to you. What, what is the final straw that stopped and helped him? 
He says, I fear God. In the sight of God, I can't do this wickedness with you. I won't sin against my God. Think about that last holdout. And did it work out well for him? No. She tore his coat off and told everybody he was attacking her. And the, Now, we know that her husband very likely did not believe her because that was instant death for any slave. There's no options. You didn't have rights or you didn't have a judge or government to help you. You're done. For him to go to prison meant that something in Potiphar believed Joseph more than his wife. Something there. But what was it that kept him and then later on kept him? Think about how when he was number two, the second man in all of the entire world. I wonder if Potiphar's wife ever saw him again. I wonder if you've thought, I was that close to losing where I should be right now. But the fear of the Lord kept me. Oh, God, the fear of the Lord kept me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, knowledge of the Holy is understanding. Now, here's James. This is the fantastic, wide-open-ended verse for everybody. And it's available for you right now. You could do this right now. You could pray to yourself this right now. If any of you lacks wisdom, what does that mean? What to do? How do I do this? What, how do I handle this? How do I apply this? How do I, what, what is my response? What do I say to them? How do I, should I stay? Should I go? Should I, should I sell? Should I buy? Should I give this up? What, what should I think? What do I do in this situation? Okay? Ask of God. He gives to everyone liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. But the Bible does give some warnings. You have to ask in faith without doubting. Not double-minded. Double-minded means you're trying to sit in two spots. You're trying to hold two opinions. You're trying to say, I'm going to trust God. I'm also going to trust what these people say. I'm going to believe you give me wisdom, but if that doesn't work out, I'm going to, I'm going to give it some wisdom over here too. That's double-minded. He who sits between two chairs will fall between them both, right? That's a, <laughs> that's a bad thing, but that's how it goes. You'll be in trouble. So God will give you wisdom in your life. He'll pour it out liberally. That's just a bucket of wisdom on your head about what to do. And you'll say, thank you, God, you gave me that. And often with my life, it's a spirit of peace. It's a, it's a feeling of peace, like, okay, that's the right thing. Jen and I were just, just recently, a few months ago, had two different things on the same day that we were like, what do we do with this situation? It's a family or kind of a, a financial thing. I forget which one. But we said, God, this is your word. I'm going to ask you and not doubt and not go to a secondary source or find something else or Google it or whatever. I'm going to, whatever, what do you want? And I just let it go. Now, that's the hard part because what if God doesn't give you wisdom that second <laughs> or minute or hour? What do you do with that? Well, tried. Give it a best shot. You've got to, maybe you've got to have a time frame. Maybe the, maybe the demand is time sensitive. But you say, God, what do I do with this situation? And instantly, we got a call on the phone, and that resolved both things just like that. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You know you have such wisdom. And when it happens, it humbles me and makes me feel emotional for a minute as though I didn't know it. But I do know it. But, you know, just see, being there and seeing it is like, oh, God, you're so powerful and you're able to quickly move in my life. And every one of us can do that right now. Anyone can. Proverbs, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out of him. Wisdom, like this kind of wisdom, is typically not found on the ground. Wisdom, like precious jewels, is not found laying around on the ground. 
gravel is on the ground, but diamonds, I don't think, are all laying on the ground. Rubies are not laying on the ground. If you have them at your farm or house or ranch, I want to come and visit you and just walk around with a little paper bag, pick up stuff. Nobody goes to my house and picks up gravel and says, look what I got. I got the piece of gravel. I love it. Because it's common, it's not rare, it's not worth much, it's cheap. But wisdom, the Bible says, is in the heart of a man like deep water. It's way down there. It's a well. Now, I've had this happen to me, and maybe you too, where someone asked me questions. Um, Max, one time, said he had, he had a, um, some kind of a thing, a school paper. And he had to ask me questions. His questions, of course, from school weren't based on Scripture or godliness, but it, it kind of turned that way. What's the one thing in your past, Dad, if you had to do it over again, you would change, you would do that different? And stuff started coming up out of me that I never even thought about. Things I wish, okay, that, I made a turn there in my life that was a wrong turn. I did this, I, I thought that was fine and it wasn't fine. Or other stuff, it just was drawn out of my life. And there are people around your life that you, they have wisdom, you got to draw it out of them. The wise aren't like the fools that are just blabbing. The fools are known by their foolishness because they open their mouth and they remove all doubt. Wise are usually hold wisdom in a deep spot, way down here, okay? Now, knowledge versus wisdom. It's one thing to have information. It's quite another thing to know how to act on it and apply it. Jesus says wisdom is proved right by her actions and showing that there's an action to wisdom. He called people wise that heard his words and obeyed the message. Remember, he had, he had wise and foolish builders. Jesus had wise and foolish maidens. He had wise and foolish people that listened to him or didn't listen to him. They listened, but they didn't do nothing with it. They were foolish. Those who listened and took action, they were wise. So you can have knowledge without wisdom or information. People have knowledge all the time. You can look up knowledge. You can find knowledge. I told my kids, I know this is like a shock to the system. But I said, and Jennifer and I were talking about this. Oh, God. I said, I remember going to the um, Lincoln County uh, School Library and going to check out the encyclopedia letter, letter P. So I had to have the letter P for the paper. So I pulled that out. But the other letter that I wanted was already checked out. That's how you went and Googled something. You had to go there and get an encyclopedia. If someone was arguing with you on the street about some fact, you couldn't say, hold on, let me check and see if that's right. You had to actually have an encyclopedia. Holy Toledo. And they were encyclopedia salesmen. God forgive them. They would sell these massive, expensive things, and then they would sell a continuing purchase thing because you had to constantly add updates to it. Every year, I mean, you know, a country that was there and is no longer, you got to change that section. You got Sri Lanka, that was a population. It's not the same population. They got to change that in those papers. I, remember, I knew a whole family that had a massive row of these things and little folders for the extras and, oh, time consuming. Yeah, you can have information. That doesn't mean you have wisdom. You can't have wisdom without knowledge because knowledge, wisdom is knowing how to use that knowledge. Okay? You can and should gather knowledge of God's word, how his spirit works, but wisdom is the application of the things you learn. Knowledge understands the light's red. I can see it. Wisdom applies the brakes. 
Knowledge can memorize the Bible, memorize the Ten Commandments, but wisdom obeys it. I have met people that know so much about the Bible. Every, every person's brother-in-law in the, in the book of Kings, every, every situation. But I look at their life, they don't have much wisdom. They've got a whole lot of knowledge. That's not necessarily they have wisdom, right? You know what I'm talking about? Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Thank you, Lord, for learning, helping me to learn. I've got to apply it. We learn a lot of stuff in this room. There's a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information given, rather. A lot of knowledge, but you've got to apply it to your life. You see, if you see in my life or someone else's life, hey, they've got some wisdom in that area. Just because we talk and I give you the information I have doesn't mean you have wisdom. I've been playing the piano since I was five years old. That's a long time since I'm ancient. It's a long time. And I could, I could tell you everything I know about playing the piano today. We could discuss every key, every chord, every cool thing I do that I've learned and things I want to do better. We could, we could lay it all. You could have an entire pamphlet full or booklet rather full of all this. And that's great. Matter of fact, I could you take my brain and put it in your head and you could have all of that stuff. But you wouldn't have the wisdom of how to do it because there is a muscle memory that you have to learn. You have to force your hand to do. You have to put your hand in that spot with the C-E-N-G. And I've tried to do this with my dad. I don't know if it's because he's so much older than dirt or what. The reason That's what he says, not me. He says that. I, call, I often answer the phone. I say, my father, which art in earth. And he says, I'm not in earth yet, Scott. I'm on earth. Okay. I said, well, we'll give you that. So I try to put his hand in that spot for CE. And I said, that, that's a C chord. And his hand is like, I can't even get in there. And it's like, there is, a, there, is a, there is a process. You have to get to the spot where you don't see it. You don't look at it. You just know it. That's the application of that knowledge. What about God's wisdom? It's vastly better than human wisdom. God says, or my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. Be careful that you don't put your thoughts on God. Be careful that you don't say, God, you're probably too busy for me today. Be careful you don't say, God, you're out there helping people and changing lives and answering missionaries' prayer. My prayer probably doesn't mean much to you today. Be careful you don't put your thoughts and your ways on God. God doesn't need time like you need time. If you and I get into a tiff, we've got to get over it. There's some time we probably need to, you know, we'll talk again. Ugh, frustrated that you did that. Yeah, I'm frustrated you did that. I love you too. Okay. God doesn't need time. God can forgive you like that. Don't put your ways on God. Don't put your thoughts on God. Let God, God is above your ways and above your thoughts. He is powerful. He's without limit to his resources. Amen. Paul had a prayer, and I want you to hear this prayer. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it. I've read this already, but it's very important to hear it again. Do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual. Oh, look at that. Check it out. I have some wisdom too. You know what my wisdom is? I learned that when you guys get to the last blank, you're usually done. 
Where's my last link? Oh, right there. Spiritual understanding. Ah, I like it. Thank you, Lord. I like the way that worked out. Of course, I, I, I helped. I helped the Lord with that prayer. I do want you to think about this, this verse, though. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17. And I want you to hear it. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen to Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 in the NIV. Ready? Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. And the message of the last verse says this. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Wow, I love it. Do you feel like the Lord's talked to you this evening? Do you feel like God has spoken to your life? Stand with me, would you, right now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's thank him for what he's doing right now. Lord, thank you for your spirit that's in this house. Thank you, Lord, that you strive with us. You call us. You pull us, Lord, from darkness. You desire, Lord, our life. You deal with us, Lord. You don't give up on us, Lord. You're working in this house even right now. I pray right now for every person here. I plead your blood over their life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would walk as wise, Lord, pleasing to God. What is pleasing in your sight? Even the rest of the world doesn't think it's that way, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to grab a hold of your word and your precious spirit. We are in a day, Lord, when the days are truly evil. Help us to walk, Lord, wise and not foolish, living unto you, Lord. You're the only thing that matters. I pray your precious name over the congregation, every person's life. I plead your blood over their mind. In the name of Jesus, I pray.